0: Hallelujah! For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is the Christ, that is Messiah and King. I ask Arthur to um, forego the little video that we normally play before message time. Um, I wanted to take this time uh, and thank our church family for your participation and involvement in the Thanksgiving meals that were prepared and distributed last week or maybe it's two weeks ago now I had an opportunity this past week to uh, do a debrief with Mauricio and Jennifer Campos and they shared with me Um, all of the comments that were made by many, many, many of the families in our church who participated in this incredible act of mercy and outreach and love. And um, wow, I want to thank you for the way that you participated, preparing and delivering and ministering to over 100 families, needy families in our community. Uh, I believe that makes Jesus smile. And uh, I am so very, very proud of you. We continue to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be generous in this church. I certainly do not apologize for that. I do not know why I'm always amazed and surprised at how you respond to these opportunities. Already you've responded to the adoptive family Christmas opportunity that we give you every year. Uh, We continue to... um, uh, do that you will spend thousands thousands of dollars on Christmas gifts for children how I noticed that we're gonna actually we're gonna do some Christmas gifts for seniors at Encore we're very very excited about that you are always involved in sending people this coming March we're gonna send a bunch of people to Romania excited about that and next year we're going on trips to Mexico and Colombia Um, You send 1825 we have 36 people going to Atlanta for the uh, Conference up there in early January you help underwrite that your generosity does We got camp in the summer you help underwrite that your generosity does church family I want to thank you so much for your uh, your generous hearts And I want to talk about that a little bit this this morning I, I want to talk about giving in the church. We've been studying from 2 Corinthians these last four or five weeks, and I, I, I have just dove into 2 Corinthians and, and, and studied and studied and studied, and it has been an incredible, incredible blessing in my life. And if I believed in coincidences I would believe that it was a coincidence that second Corinthians so prominently so boldly so plainly talks about generosity and giving in and through the church it's a coincidence because here we are at the end of the year and we uh, our, our our budget year is January to December and so Lori and Pastor Jim and myself, the elders, we've been working really hard on our budget for the upcoming year, and part of that process is evaluating 2016 and and um, where do we go from here? And and um, boy, it plays right into what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians the eighth and ninth chapter. So we're going to be talking about generosity. We're going to be talking about giving today. I think that it's uh, important, I think it's valuable that I give you a couple of what I call caveats. Um, this message is not about raising money. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that Avalon Church is doing good. If, if, if we continue on track through December as we have through the previous 11 months, uh, your giving will exceed our expenditures. I don't take that for granted, and I'm very, very uh, grateful for that. This isn't a pep talk on trying to get you to give more so we can dig ourselves out of a hole. That's just not the case, and I don't take that for granted. A A second caveat might be that I know that we have a few people with us this morning in this service who aren't a part of Avalon Church uh, this is kind of a, a family conference meeting I, I say that because when I was growing up as a young kid I had four brothers and sisters there was five of us in the family mom and dad and when those occasions arose where there was a certain situation or a circumstance or a decision that needed to be made we would call a family conference We would all gather in the living room, and we would have a family. This is kind of a family conference kind of message, and so if you're here this morning, you're not a part of Avalon Church, I believe in the providence of God, and I believe that you're here for a reason and a purpose, and I pray that God's word would speak to your heart, especially in your relationship with your own church home. I want to say this caveat as well. I know that there are that there are many who would say, yeah, Dale, that's good, that's good, that's good, but I give to other things. And I'm not going to belabor this point this morning. I'm I'm looking forward one day very soon in teaching on this, but I believe that the Bible teaches us, especially in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, we see the practice of regular giving to the church to support the ministries of the church, and I find the scripture leads me to a place where I believe that's where I give first. I also want to say that I believe that there's probably some people here in the room this morning that you're not followers of Christ. And maybe you would be prone to think that, man, all the church ever talks about is money. But I pray that you'll see this is not about money. It's about hearts. It's about what God does in a heart. It's about experiencing God's love and receiving God's love and God's love compelling us to be generous. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, I want you to know I pray and I pray fervently and I pray believing that maybe even on this day you'll receive God's love in your own heart today so before we open up God's Word let me go to the Lord in prayer father each week we pray that the preacher would decrease and that you would increase each week we pray that your people would not hear my voice but they would hear your voice and for some reason there's something on my heart that says maybe that's an even more important prayer this week I don't know but that's what I'm feeling in my heart. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is good because God is good. And God loves us. And God does desire what is best for us. And This is part of that. So may you speak clearly to your people. Give us ears to hear you. We want to see as you see, so give us ears eyes to see as you see and you accomplish in the lives of your people what you want to accomplish and I'll praise you for that I love you Lord Jesus I pray this prayer I entrust this prayer to you in your name amen I um I asked Lori Malloy, who's our comptroller, who's sitting here on the front row to make sure that I tell you the truth. That's not why she's sitting there. If she would do a little research for me and give me some statistics about our church specifically and specifically in the area of our giving. Now, I want to share some of this with you. Of all that will be given to this church in 2016 17% of the people in this church who give gave 55% of all that will be giving 54% of the people who give will give 99% of all that is given of that or, or, or I should say, and what that means is is that there are 46% of people that call Avalon Church home that give less than 1%. The, the, um, the thing that, that that makes this even more of a conservative kind of number is that we only used a totality of people who gave anything at all. So there are many, many, probably half, Lori estimates, probably half in our church, who never give anything at all. Now, I want to tell you, that's not good. I want to remind you, this isn't about money. This is about hearts. This is about what's going on in your heart. And it burdens my heart that there aren't more people within this body of believers and more Christians in general that don't know or understand and, more importantly, have experienced the grace of giving, the joy of giving, the blessings of giving, and more importantly, evidently, the biblical perspective of giving. It has to do with the heart, what's going on in our hearts. I think you have to admit that all of us have this tendency to allow our hearts to be more geared towards stuff than it is toward Jesus. What would it look like in your life what would it look like in our lives? What would it look like in our church? What would it look like in our nation if the opposite was true, that our hearts were geared more toward Jesus than it was toward stuff? There was a study done at Stanford University. Here's what they said. If church members in America gave 10% of their income to the church in two years... They could eliminate global starvation and malnutrition in two years. They could provide education for every child on the planet. They could provide universal access to clean water and sanitation. That's their study. That's not even mentioning the fact that there are 6,000 people groups in the world today who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two billion people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ we we know this to be true we know the need we know what the bible says so where's the disconnect what is going on? What is the thought process? And I, I'll be honest, I, I spent time thinking about this. Where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect? Why is it? We, we know the need. We, we know God's heart on this. We know what the Bible has to say. We, we know the truth. So where's the disconnect? And I think I'll, just, I'll make this as a suggestion that the disconnect is is that we've bought into this lie that whatever our income is, whatever our salary is, that that will be the standard of living that we have. That that our salary, if you will, our our income, determines our standard of living. And and, and that's if we stay within our income. I, 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 I have little doubt that there are many who are living above their income and so what that means is is there's no margin there for generosity there's no margin there for giving and i believe that it all begins in the heart i think that look this is the gospel of jesus this is this is the truth and and it's a radical thing and it's a maybe you would think of it as an extreme thing but But God's ways aren't our our ways, and here's here's how he guides us in this area of our lives. I think that it's so radical, so extreme, that, that there's probably a change that needs to be made in our lives, a change that needs to be made in our lifestyles. And it's a change, I want to tell you, it's very, very, very different. It'll look different than our culture. I want to say this too, I think it's a change, that it don't, get, get out of your mind this idea that, 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 that it's, it's, it's just about, I, I want to suggest that it's a change that's good for you personally, a change in lifestyle. Look, I, I'm going to turn over to, 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 to 1 Corinthians 6 before we get into our, our passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. Uh, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He says, don't associate with the sexually immoral of of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. He said, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, anyone who calls himself a Christian is what he's saying there, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. He's putting this idea of greed on the same plane, on the same level as he is sexual immorality. And look. You have to admit, don't you, we're quick to point out someone who's engaged in an unrepentant sexual immorality. We want to point the finger at them. Do we point the finger at those who, who, who have unrepentant greed in their lives? But yet Paul puts that on the, on the same plane. Chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, not thieves, nor the greedy, will inherit the kingdom of God. That is how serious this is to God. It's easy for us to... To, to, to practice this, this um, pointing out what we think are e- e- egregious sins and, and, and not so much the respectable sins. Greed. It, it, it's, it, it's desiring what you don't have to the point that you will go to great lengths in order to obtain it. it it's, it's a craving for, for more than you have. It's hoarding what you already have. And I I ask this morning, is that a sin that might be in your life, are you you grieved by the sin? Are you unrepentant of that sin? I don't think we should be guilty pointing our finger at the bad sins and not the so-called respectable sins. We should practice church discipline when we have someone in our church who has unrepentant sexual sin in their lives, but shouldn't we do that if there's someone who has unrepentant greed in their lives? I wonder what that would look like. I, I, I think it's one of the reasons that Jesus said in his earth, during his earthly ministry, it's really, really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, Dale, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. We are extremely rich wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And in our culture, it is extremely hard for a man to enter the kingdom of God because of our wealth, our rich, all that we have. And so, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we see a passage that shows us how God Compels his church to give. I want to read two passages of Scripture to you, if I could, and then we'll talk about it briefly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to read verses 1 through 9, and then immediately I'm going to skip down to chapter 9 and read verses 6 through 15. I want to tell you that this is rich, rich Scripture, and I hope that you'll give your heart to this. I hope you'll concentrate, I hope you'll focus on what Paul is telling this church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 1, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they give, they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means. Of their own accord. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What a powerful, powerful verse that is. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Over in chapter 9, in verse 6, listen to this, is powerful, moving, moving truth. The point is this, let me make this clear, Paul is saying, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you gives as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace, grace, grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely... To God be the glory. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Let's jump into this real quick. We give give out, out of an abundance of grace. You heard me use the word grace about seven or eight times in that passage of Scripture. Verse 1, verse 7, verse 9 in chapter 8, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Chapter 8, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Grace, grace. See, grace is something that's supernatural. You're trying to understand generosity in the context of what is logical, what is normal. You'll never understand generosity because we give out of an abundance of grace. I can try and guilt you into being generous and guilt you into giving, but here's the truth. Guilt never sustains generosity. Grace can sustain generosity. Generosity, his grace does something supernatural among us, his children, his believers. The example of this is Macedonia. I want you to understand, I want you to see this in these second and third verses. Here's, here's what it says. It, it says their, their severe affliction and their extreme poverty... Overflowed into an abundance of joy and generosity. Extreme affliction, severe poverty equals an abundance of joy and generosity. The world can't do that. That's a supernatural act of God, it is attributed to God's grace. In their lives. How, how can it be that they could give like that? I pray that God would show that kind of grace upon this church that we, would, that we would ask and we receive that kind of grace, that God would do this kind of surgery on our hearts by His grace, that our hearts would be turned toward Him That our hearts would would yearn for him instead of yearning for stuff and things and materialism and more and more and more. Only grace can do that. I think the opposite of God's grace in a person's life is God's judgment in a person's life. And the Bible teaches us that God judges people by he, he uses uses these words by by um, giving them over to themselves. Think about that. That, that, that. that it's either God's grace or God taking his hands off and saying, okay, you make the decisions. You do what your heart desires. You do what you want to do. And, and folks, we, we don't want that. We don't want God to, to give us over to ourselves. It's important that we understand we really can't go any further until we understand that giving is a grace thing. That we, we give and we're generous out of an abundance of grace. Then we're, we're, we're able to give willingly. In verse 4, an incredible verse from chapter 8, that they begged, they were begging to give. They were begging to give, not because... They had so much to give, but because of God's blessing in their life, because of the gospel of Christ and how it had changed them, they had been giving from God's grace. God gives us grace so that we can be gracious. I I told you last week, the second Corinthians has just been pounding, pounding, pounding pounding in my head and teaching me something, a lesson I should have learned 30, 40 years ago, that this Christian life, it's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my happiness. This Christian life is about other people. My Christian experience is about about others. And I I see that in 2 Corinthians. He says in the first chapter, I'm going to comfort you in your suffering. I'm going to comfort you. But it's so that you can comfort others. And he talks about this process of sanctification and he says, I'm going to do a work in your heart. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make you more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more like Jesus every day, every day, every day. But that's so that other people can see Jesus in your life. That's so that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. And in this passage, he says, says, I'm going to give so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to bestow grace so that you can be gracious. We give willingly. We give based upon God's blessing. And, and, And according to this church at Macedonia, these incredible people, what kind of people were these? They gave at least according to their ability. These were people who were in great poverty, extreme poverty, and yet we see them begging to be generous. It reminds me of Mark chapter 12 and verse 41, when uh, I won't turn there and read that, but Jesus is, is sitting and he's watching people as they come by, and they give their gifts at the temple. And many, many rich people gave many, many big, big gifts, and yet the young widow, her turn turn in line, and she gave two copper coins, and the Bible says, which equals one penny, that's what the Bible says. And Jesus says she has given more than all of the rest because Jesus doesn't value the size of the gift. Listen, he places great value on the size of the sacrifice. on what it on what it cost to give we could turn over to acts chapter 2 and and verse 44 this is all a result of grace this is all a result of what god is doing and transforming my heart acts 2 and chap, chapter um, or verse 34 and following brand new believers brand new believers this isn't a thing about spiritual maturity this is about a, a heart Brand new believers are are sacrificially giving. They start giving. They start giving. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 32, it says they were of one heart and they were of one soul. i got to turn over and read that. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony uh, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen, listen to this. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as any had need. It was a a grace thing. People don't do that, but that's what the church is supposed to look like. Do we want our church to look that way? I start talking about selling your property and giving to people in need, and all of a sudden, red flags, red flags go up, right? And you go, well, that's socialism. I I, I beg to differ. I don't... These people's hearts were transformed by God, by the grace of God. It it wasn't a a communist-driven socialism as much as it was a gospel-driven sacrifice. That's what we see in these people that were able to give beyond and wanted and had a desire to give beyond their ability. We give generously generously. 2 Corinthians 9.6, it talks about sowing and reaping. It, it, look, th- this is important enough that, that Paul says, look, here's the point. Let me make this simple. I want you to understand this. This needs to be clear. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. No, no, no. That's not prosperity theology. This, this idea that prosperity theology is I'm going to give because I want more. I want more things. I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrificially give so that God will give to me so that I can have more things. And quite frankly, folks, I want something better than just more things. And this is, this is what God's people were experiencing when they gave generously. They, they found that God was was responding with incredible grace and, and, that, and that they were experiencing things beyond what material things can offer. We're surrounded by lies every, all day long, every day. If you have more, you'll be happier. We hear it all of the time. And I say, don't buy it because it's not true. I think that God's word teaches us, the more you give, the happier you'll be. It's a generous heart that overflows with contentment. I want you to know that this is God's word, and God is for you, and God is good, and that's why he's telling us these things. God always gives enough to meet our needs. He will give enough to meet our needs And that's why we have to to learn to be content with having our needs met. Big, big statement there. We have to learn to be content with having our needs met. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen, listen to this. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There's great gain we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. Listen, verse 8. If we have food and clothing, with these we should be content. I, I want you to think about how, what, what the application of that is in our lives. That, that maybe we should establish, this is radical, buckle up, that that maybe we should establish in our lives a point of contentment. This is is what I need to be content. This this meets my needs. It's it's enough for me. My my contentment comes from the Lord. And when I have these needs met, that's, that's really all that I need. It's a point where I'll say, this is enough. I'm not going to desire more. We live in this culture of, of luxuries. They're luxuries. We don't think of a bed as being a luxury. But, but there are more people in this world who don't have a bed than do have a bed. I'm going I'm to be content. I want to read this to you. John Wesley, a hero of our faith, Here's, here's these are his words verbatim. Christians should give away all but the plain necessities of life. That is good, wholesome food, clean clothes, and enough to carry out one's business. Any Christian who takes for himself the plain necessities of life lives in an open, habitual denial of the Lord. That's what he said he gains both riches and hellfire. That's what, that's what he said, and it's, it's radical, it's strong, it's, it, 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 it probably makes you angry. It, it, I understand that, but you know what? That's what 1 Timothy 6 says. That's exactly what 1 Timothy 6 says. By the way... Wesley, in his biography, we learned that he put this very thing into practice, that he had this point of contentment. And and, and his lifestyle was such that if there was any increase in uh, that, that he experienced, if there was anything more above this point of contentment, he would always just give it away to the point where at the end of his life, when he was earning $160,000 a year, he was living on $20,000 a year because that was his point of contentment and he was giving away $140,000 a year. It's this idea that... that, This is what I thought of this past week. It's this idea that I, I, I determine my point of contentment. Any... Any increase I get over my point of contentment, I will allow that to affect my standard of giving, not my standard of living. Radical, different, almost laughable. I can tell you that you won't get counsel like that anywhere else in this culture. He has given us excess. But it's for others. It's to be used to minister to others. It's to be used to share the gospel. It's to be used to help meet others' needs. All right, we, we have to go on. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, it talks about us giving cheerfully. It talks about uh, not giving reluctantly, not giving under compulsion. It talks about God loving a, a, a cheerful giver. We're not forced by God to give. We're freed by God to give. It's not, a, it's not an attitude, and I have actually gotten this question before or, on more than a few occasions, Dale, how little do I have to give and be okay? I mean, what does the Bible say about that? But that, that, that's 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 not that's not that's not the question. How this, this church at Macedonia? Please let us be a part. Please let us give. How much can we give? We want to give more. We want to give more. And that out of their poverty, their extreme poverty. We give as a demonstration of the gospel. I, 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 I love this. Worthy of memorization. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus have to die to save me? Well, I couldn't get saved unless he died, but he didn't have to die. He made that clear in the garden. Hey, hold on a second. If I wanted to, I'd call a legion of angels, I'd be out of here. I give up my life willingly he said. And so we're to be like Jesus that way. We're to be like Jesus in this, in this idea of, uh, of sacrifice and others. Sacrifice. I mean, can, can, can you even process the thought of giving and being generous until it hurts? That's Sacrifice. We give to promote thanksgiving to God. I'm going to close with this. We've got more to do, but in chapter 9 and and, and verse 11, look, I I want to tell you, this is kind of my, my, my prayer for our church. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I can embrace that lifestyle. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, I want us to be about that, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. God will be glorified because of your submission because of what's flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ, because of the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. I don't know how to end this, other than to tell you that this is God's word, and that God loves you and God wants what's best for you. And when God gives us direction and when God gives us a blueprint and when God makes clear in his word what his heart is, it's because he loves you. It's because he wants what's best for you. It's because he wants you to walk in his power. It's he wants you to experience his grace. I guess, I guess we have to come to a place in our lives where we, we believe that. Because I'm going to tell you something. I, I don't know how you can do what he's outlined for us to do unless you believe that, that he loves you, that he wants what's best for you, that he shares with this with us because of that. So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a couple of minutes, maybe three, and pray. I'm not going to have you stand. I just want to ask you to bow your heads right where you're sitting. Maybe in your conversation with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord Jesus, maybe you might jot down some things that God is telling you to do. or Maybe it's questions that he has brought to your mind that you want to spend some time trying to answer. Maybe that would be something you would do with your family. Maybe it's a question about what, what is my point of contentment? I can't tell you what that is, folks. You, you need to determine that on your own. What do we have that, that we simply don't need? What will I do? What will my family do? What does sacrifice mean to me? What is it practically? And I am just trusting God. that He's going to move among his people and change lives and, 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 and dare I say, even change lifestyles. So the team's not going to sing, but they'll play a little music. We're going to have a time of prayer. And then when Arthur feels the Spirit leading him to do so, he'll have a stand and we'll, we'll sing a worship song together. Father God, we commit this time to you. Give us purity of heart as we interact with you about this subject of generosity, this subject of giving, this, this transformation of a heart that needs to take place in our lives. Have your will and way, I beg, is my prayer.